You know, I was driving down the road the other day, and I heard about a new book release that came out, a book written by a prisoner at Guantanamo. At Guantanamo Bay, yes, Gitmo. I was intrigued by what I heard on the radio when I said, we have got to get somebody on (laughs) about this book. And uh, that's who we have on in the first half of this hour. More than a pleasure. Uh, Haina, excuse me, Hina Shamsi, director of the American Civil Liberties Union's National Security Project. She works on issues including drones, accountability for torture, and Guantanamo. Also, she is one of the lawyers representing Mohamedou Sali in his court case to be set free. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us, Hina. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. It's a pleasure, Leslie. Thank you for having me. First of all, this uh, this is a first, right? I, I mean, this book is written by an actual prisoner of Guantanamo Bay. Uh, it, it was published in the United States. It's also been published throughout uh, several other uh, countries. Was there any pushback? And was there, you know, when somebody in the military writes about their experiences, I think a guy wrote about working at Guantanamo, uh, you know, years ago. He had to run it by uh, the Pentagon and, you know, you know, people uh, that are affiliated in, in a government and military sense with Guantanamo. Was that the case uh, with Mohamedou and his book? Indeed it was, Leslie. It took about six years of litigation and negotiation for us to be able to secure from the government the public release of the book. It still has approximately uh, 2,500 redactions in it. It's published in the form that it was uh, given to us, but it took a long, long time to get here. I know a bit of his story. I don't have the book. I haven't read it as of yet. It is entitled Guantanamo Diary. He is the first person uh, to write a a book like this. It is a first-person account, and this is his rendition. Uh, He is a citizen. He's a Mauritian citizen, right? And uh, my understanding, uh, in short, because we don't have a lot of uh, time with this, you know, that that – he was linked to al-Qaeda before al-Qaeda was what we know al-Qaeda to be today, back when the CIA was heavily funding and helping to arm and train with weaponry Osama bin Laden and the Mujahideen to fight communist and communism, specifically the Russians in Afghanistan, very different al-Qaeda that he was associated with uh, allegedly then back in the day. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Um, and that's actually one of the facts that the judge in his case, who ordered him released back in 2010, a decision that was later challenged by the government, that was a fact that the judge found very specifically that the al-Qaeda that he had been involved with was not the same al-Qaeda that attacked us. And in fact, what Mohammedou was doing was being part of the anti-Soviet um, campaign in Afghanistan, a campaign that the United States supported at the time with billions of dollars and missiles. Um, and 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 that's why he was largely caught up in this. So right now, this uh, you know to to free Slahi, this campaign that is going, uh, the legal matter is now awaiting further action from the court. Correct. That's right, and I think um, it would be you know. One of the things that we are hoping in launching a campaign for release of Mohamedou around this book is that people will really, you and I hope your listeners, will actually just read through his words. He has been imprisoned without charge or trial for almost 13 years. His book is a first-person account of torture, unlawful detention, but it's also about his attempts to understand his torturers and jailers. It's graceful, I think. It's humane. It's perceptive. It's at times very funny. And it gives us insight, not just uh, into who 
man is in this remarkable book. You know, he, he perfected English uh, in writing this while he was at Guantanamo. But it also gives us insight into the people who were jailing him and torturing him. And I think that's one of the other remarkable aspects of this book, because this was a place that was dedicated to dehumanizing him. But Muhammadu was focused on the humanity of the individuals who were doing this to him. And it calls into question, because he himself questions it, you know, what must it be like to be an American service person who is told by your country to break the minds and bodies of your fellow human beings through torture? And that's part of what I think is so remarkable and moving about this book. Uh, you, as part of the ACLU and part of the legal defense team uh, for this man, have launched a free Slahi campaign. It is on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, there are a lot of very big names that are reading and narrating uh, his book. Uh, Dominic West of The Wire, great actor who I'm a fan of. Audio readings from actor Stephen Fry and others. One of my favorites, so I have a bit of a crush on Colin Firth. And uh, in a public reading in London, uh, that actors Benedict Cumberbatch, who was up for an Academy Award, Jude Law, and even musicians Nick Cave and Brian Eno. Are these musicians and actors uh, supportive of freeing this man? In other words, do they believe in his innocence? Yeah, I think that's one of the great aspects of what we've seen in the last couple of days, which is that this is becoming part of a campaign supported by the publishers of this book uh, worldwide. So far, right now, and counting, there are uh, 19 countries in which this book is going to be published, and the you know many of the actors and and um, other celebrities who've who've joined uh, in the readings have tweeted out you know read this book, support the campaign for release, and we've actually got a petition. Um, at freeslahi, aclu.org freeslahi, where we are hoping that people who are also moved by this account, um, Americans who say this is not who we are as a country, this is not something that should be done in my name, that um, this is something that I reject, will join us in seeking his freedom. Because part of what we lay out and part of what I think this book makes very clear is that Muhammadu is an innocent man. The government doesn't have a legal basis to hold him because he's never engaged in any hostilities against the United States. And he's, he's not a threat. To Which the is the, the legal and technical definition of a terrorist, correct? Well, a terrorist activity. I, 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 that's, I think, what... The, you know, part of the definition of when the government can hold someone right. when they've actually, um, you know, engaged in in warlike activities. But the reality is that Muhammadu turned himself in to the police in his home country voluntarily because he thought that they wanted to question him, and that launched his now almost 14-year odyssey. And, and, and he, he was he was very optimistic, right? There were people that said, "Don't worry, they're just going to question you," and he's like, "They're just going to question me." But there were people that said, "Are you crazy? They're going to pick you up. They're going to throw you in." some dark prison for the rest of your throw away the key and you'll be there and rot for the rest of your life. Yeah, you know, I think he encounters those perspectives as he tells you in various different parts of the book. But again, one of the part the, the remarkable um, aspects, one of the remarkable aspects of this is the narrative. When he first arrived at Guantanamo um, way back in in um, the early 2000s, he thought things were going to get better for him. In his words, he trusted the American justice system too much. He didn't believe that with America he was going to see the kinds of abuses and violations that he saw in Jordan, where he was also uh, tortured after he was picked up and sent by the CIA to Jordan. 
Um, and, and then this becomes an account of how those beliefs broke down, about how those beliefs broke down because he was subjected to isolation, sleep deprivation, sexual humiliation, beatings, uh, mock execution, threats made against his family members. I think one of the things that is you know, really terrifying is the psychological torture that comes out. They uh, threatened him, his interrogators threatened his mother and said that uh, she would be brought to Guantanamo and would be uh, mistreated there. And at the same time, and, and one of the things that comes out is, you know, he comes to find out that his mother has been praying every single day for his release and to be able to see him one more time. And that's not going to happen because uh, Mohamed Uslahi's mother died in 2013 mm. um, in what was approaching the 10th year of his time at Guantanamo. Um, and he's had to deal with all of those things, a longing for family. You know, and, and another part of it is that um, after the torture, during some of the worst of the torture, when he talks about how he started hallucinating, you know, he's hearing his family's voices as trying to, uh, to comfort him. I know that he wanted his story to be told in, in light of the fact that he, you know, was supposed to be released and, and then the Obama administration, uh, you know, said no. Um, there's so many things here. One, I, I believe that having this facility was wrong. I, I do believe in due process and uh, I do believe people should be charged and should have their day in court, even alleged terrorists. One, two. There is a fear, especially with increased terrorism attacks, ISIS beheading people, uh, the uh, terrorist attacks at Charlie Hebdo headquarters in Paris, um, and, and, and a fear in the, and I think a belief in the United States that all the people that were good and innocent, if they, you know, believe there were any in Guantanamo, um, are, have been released. They also get the news reports, and it varies whether it's 20 percent, 25 or 30 percent recidivism rate. That frightens the living bejesus out of them when they see ISIS and uh, these attacks at uh, Charlie Hebdo and places like that are thwarted attacks, you know, the arrests, the things that are posted online. And I think that there's a general belief that transcends political ideology, unfortunately, um, that the people that are currently in Guantanamo Bay are the real bad of the bad, the worst of the worst, and, and are guilty, and that anybody who was innocent was already freed. And hey, some that we thought were innocent either really weren't and went back to their old terrible terrorism uh, ways or became terrorist uh, because of the imprisonment and uh, the torture. So in light of that, he said he wanted his story to be told. Is he fearful that he is, and if ever released, will be perceived this way throughout the world, uh, you know, in, in this light, or that he may never be released in light of these circumstances? Even though the president spoke to closing Guantanamo Bay yesterday, one of the problems is, you know, who goes where and what is done to those people? Are there any innocent people left uh, in Guantanamo? And you say, and you know, that he, uh, Mr. Slahi, is one such innocent. That's exactly right. And you're raising a lot of really important points, Leslie. And I think it would be good to break them down. I think, you know, we can all join together in condemnation of horrific terrorist attacks, no matter where they take place. Um, but I think... Part of what we have to do is separate out fear from fact in order to be responsible, in order to abide by our commitment to the rule of law and our values. And the fact, one of the facts is that there are, out of the 122 men currently at Guantanamo, 54 who've been cleared for release unanimously by military and intelligence agencies. So it's not true that the people who are there are really the worst of the worst. You know, when there are numbers raised about 
about recidivism, um, I think we have to question what are those numbers based on, because in the past what we've seen is that people who were released, who exercised their right to criticize the government, were uh, couched as recidivists, which is not what one would really think. So I think you really want to break those down. But I think part of what is so important here is that in 2010, again, the federal judge, who is the only neutral person who has reviewed all of the facts in this case, decided that um, the government didn't have a basis to hold uh, Mohamedou Slahi because the evidence that it had against him was either obtained through torture or was otherwise not credible. And if I can just tell you about one you know, part of what Mahmoudou talks about in his book is that he started giving false confessions um, as a result of the torture. He says, I got nauseous because I remembered the words and, and it's blacked out the name of his interrogator. And what the interrogator said to him is, all you have to say is, I don't know, I don't remember, and will F you, using the obscenity. And so he started making up lies in order, incriminating answers in his uh, own words, which is what the interrogators wanted to hear. But even so, he has a hope and belief in us, the American people, that I think sometimes our policymakers who rely on fear don't. At the end of the book, uh, Mohamedou asks, what do the American people think? I would like to know, and these are his words, he says, I would like to believe the majority of Americans want to see justice done, and they are not interested in financing the detention of innocent people. And that's his belief, and I think that's the belief that we all want to have of ourselves and of our country, and that's why the injustice and unlawful detention of Mohamedou and men like him has to end. More than a pleasure talking with you. I have a, a million more questions, but thank you for taking the time. Hina Shamshi, director of the American Civil Liberty Union's National Security Project. She works on issues including drones accountability for torture and, of course, Guantanamo. She is one of the lawyers representing Mohamedou Slahi. He has written a book that is entitled Guantanamo Diary. It has been released. It's been approved for release. It talks about his torture. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend... A unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.